behave. <clears throat> okay, we'll go ahead and get started. We're a little bit behind schedule. So the title of this class is Filling the Supporting Role When You Feel Like the Leading Lady. And I have to be completely honest with you guys. This was the hardest class, the hardest lesson for me to develop. Uh, it's the one I feel least qualified to talk about. Uh, but it kind of this, this class came about with us, uh, the four of us kind of getting together and talking about what we were seeing in the different congregations uh, that we're involved in. Uh, and just also socially, kind of what we've seen um, kind of evolve um, over the last 10, 15 years, um, and some of the changes in our, the roles that we have going on in our families right now. <clears throat> so, again, I'm, I'm really looking forward to some really good discussion um, with all of you, uh, because this is, can be a really sensitive subject, a really tough one, uh, because I'm sure we all have very different experiences here. Um, we're all in, all in here for maybe very different reasons. Uh, and so I, I just, I'd love to hear what reasons you're in here for. Any questions you have, definitely open to that. I'm really not good with this thing, so I'm going to try not to pull it around too much. Okay, so just to kind of set up this class, I want to talk a little bit about the paradigm shift that's occurred. Um, this is just in the U.S. Um, and, and kind of how it's changed for women, um, I guess, kind of throughout the last hundred years or so. Um, to set that up. So, you know, the home has been kind of the central focus for women for a long time. Kind of their um, place of work, their kind of social circle. Um, we still hold on to a lot of these, you know, kind of the house is the woman's place, right? That's, she keeps it, she does these things. So we kind of hold on to some of those, but some of those ideas, but what's happened is culture has changed. Um, so back, um, kind of for colonial women, education occurred close to the home, uh, religious teaching occurred in the home, business occurred in the home, um, kind of the hub of all society was in the home. And so if you really think about it, um, women were kind of the center of society. Um, they weren't viewed as being left out or kind of having to stay at home with the kids or because it was all happening there. Right? So men, a lot of times, had businesses from home, kind of working out of their home, or they were working in a field close by. Um, so a lot of times women were keeping the account books. They were helping their husbands in the daily work. So it was more of a team-type uh, situation. So again, everything was really happening right there in the hub. The home, that's what the home was. And so um, obviously we've had some shifts from that, you know, as... Uh, industry, just kind of talking a little bit about the Industrial Revolution, while a lot of really amazing things came from that, uh, if you think about like dishwashers and washing machines, like I would never say that we didn't want that, but um, unfortunately what happened with the Industrial Revolution was that these men who were working out of their home, kind of running businesses from home or close to home, working in the fields, um, very involved in the day-to-day -day lives of their children and their wives, um, they left, right? Because these uh, factories were built, industry started to rise in the U.S., and they needed people to work um, in industry to produce. And again, it was a beautiful thing, but now all of a sudden, instead of all this happening in the home, the fathers were leaving for 10 to 12 hours a day, okay? So that was kind of one of the first shifts in the family, um, kind of in more recent times, 
um, you know, as we look at, at our modern families. And so you can imagine um, now all of a sudden work was being pulled away from home. So was the father. Um, they were working incredibly hard but coming home exhausted. Um, and society started to pull away from the home as well. Um, all of a sudden work, uh, having a job started becoming synonymous with paid work. Um, no longer was it just working together as a family to be able to survive and produce uh, enough to live on. All of a sudden, now it was like, well, if you're paid, it's work. Okay, so that was a, a shift um, happening as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, a woman's dependence was never seen as weakness. Um, it was really never seen as, as something um, he held over her, um, or was it suppressive either. Um, so the change in industry brought, brought the change in work. Change in work brought change in the home. Uh, the change in the home brought substantial change um, really to all of life. Uh, and so as you know, religion kind of started becoming more centralized to church buildings, right? Education was then moved out to um, bigger schools farther away from home for longer periods of time. Um, what else? Society, kind of the social life was moved more into the public arena on a more consistent basis. Um, so everything started to move kind of around, or away from the home. Um, and so who was left still at home? Women. Uh, in that time, that's uh, kind of what was still going on. And not that they didn't have an important role, but it started to change their roles in society and in their families. Um, you know, no longer were kind of mothers the nurses. You know, a lot of times they cared for their children when they had the little minor stuff. Um, but doctors and nurses were readily available, so it was just easier to go and seek all your health care in a hospital. Um, and so by about 1950, um, kind of moving forward, um, the home had really uh, uh, been reduced to kind of a, a minor status in society. And uh, we see this a lot with uh, kind of the view of what traditional roles were in the 1950s around that time. Um, kind of thinking back on some old um, TV shows, right? Any that you can think of that were pretty prominent then? Anyone? What were kind of the themes that were going on? I used to watch Rainbow and Fever. Yeah, that kind of idea of everything's going on, they're coming in and out, father's working, but the mom is the one that's supposed to be there, kind of keeping it all together. Um, this traditional, this is what family looks like, right? And what about now, like some of the TV shows we have on TV now? Just in this short time period. Parents are stupid, kids run their own lives. That's right. Yeah, and so it's interesting. We've gone from what this traditional role is, um, which really wasn't God's plan to begin with anyway, with the father being gone and so absent from the home because of work um, obligations, um, to all of a sudden now, here we are, and it's... I, it's hard to turn the TV on a lot of times because we're so saturated with not only are parents stupid, but of the mother and father, who's the dumbest? The dad. The dad is almost always the butt of the jokes. He's tolerated by the family. He's, you know, kind of the mom puts up with him, keeps him around. Um, the children make fun of him. So this is like, what are we teaching children by watching this? Yes. Oh, Father's Day is tomorrow. Let's run out and get something. But Mother's Day. No, I mean, like, if you look at, like, the advertisements, they do 
love the oh. things about moms and the cars and walks. Right. Like, oh, moms are so great. They're so important. They love you. And then the dads are like, again, the jokes and the right. whatever. Poking fun, kind of a, um, you're kind of just here to bring in a paycheck or kind of, to, you know. I mean, dads are babysitters. Fathers are babysitters. And moms are parents. Right. Yeah, and so that's and, and whatever whatever level that might be true in a family, if the father really maybe isn't picking up his slack, still what we're communicating, what we're teaching children, particularly boys, about what their role of leadership in as a family is is tragic because we're going to have a whole generation of men growing up um, seeing that oh this is what TV taught and this is kind of the way my mom's friends talked about my dad or about men in general. So this is, must be what my responsibility is. And then we're raising uh, kind of a, a whole generation of women that we're telling them, like, don't rely on men ever. You have to make it for yourself. And so you can kind of see how um, neither of those views are biblical, are what God wants for families. Um, and so we have to be very careful about what we're bringing on um, and what also we're communicating to other people. Uh, this is a quote from um, a woman named Mary Ann Mason. She's a divorce lawyer, a feminist, self-proclaimed feminist, a former historian. She wrote in 1988, so it's kind of shifting uh, some of those roles. Um, this is kind of when feminism really um, was becoming more and more prominent um, and accepted. She said, something has gone very wrong with the lives of women. They are working harder than they have in recent history, they are growing steadily poorer, and they are suffering from the brutality of divorce at an unprecedented rate. Feminists have sadly become prisoners of their own political rhetoric, and this rhetoric is based on a model of equality which is not suited to the lives of most women. So, kind of to say that, um, unfortunately, through the feminist movement, which some of it was needed, you know, the right to vote, some things that did need to become more equal, there's been this idea communicated that women should be able to have it all, all of it. Everything that they want as a woman and everything that a man can have too. And that's not humanly possible for anyone. So they're taking on um, this idea that I've got, to be, I've got to be the financial kind of coordinator in the family. I've got to be the spiritual leader in the family. I've got to be the one that takes care of the kids, this and this. But also, on the other hand, I have to have the career. I have to be moving up in my profession. I have to, you know, this, this check, all these social boxes as well. Um, and for anyone, I mean, women are pretty amazing at multitasking, but nobody can do that. And we find that women are just spinning their wheels, running themselves ragged, and feel like they're not getting anywhere, or their families are falling apart, or they can't understand why they're not happy. Um, and so we look at... So where have the leading men gone? Um, what are some changes that, that you guys can maybe imagine or have seen in families with men taking that leadership role in a family? Maybe in your lifetime, what you see between now um, in your own marriage um, or your own friends and what your parents had. What are some changes kind of socially that you see have come into families? Absolutely, and so 
Um, not that there's anything wrong with a woman working outside the home, but a lot of times they may have better paying jobs. Imagine a man you know, has this idea that I'm the financial supporter of my family, which is an important thing for them to assume that I'm taking care of my family. It's that kind of man protectiveness, right? Like I'm providing. And they have a spouse who makes more than them or is more successful. It's very intimidating, um, coupled with the fact that um, I love that God developed us this way, that men can focus on one thing really, really well, like really well. And that, that's not like a, I'm not being sarcastic, like if you give them something to work on, they will do it until it is finished. You know, like you can't break their concentration. And sometimes that's hard because it's like, how long does it take to finish one thing, right? Like I find myself like, okay, that would take me half the time and you've worked on it this long, but they haven't gotten distracted. Um, with, Right, they get very... 30 minutes passing their bus to the left, and all of a sudden, they come out of that fog, and they're like, how did that happen? Right. Meanwhile, we have women, on the other hand, who I think, I mean, a lot of women can juggle, like, 10, 10 things, like, actual physical things, and, like, 50 in their brains at the same time. You know, so we're, which is great. If you think about, like, raising children and the things that women have to juggle on a daily basis, it's good that they can keep so many things up in the air. Um, and so we see those big changes in family... But again, it becomes very intimidating sometimes when a guy kind of realizes that, like, well, I just finished taking the trash out, and, you know, you've, like, saved the world over here. And so there's a responsibility for us as women to, like, how do we nurture what they are doing in order to build them up so that they can fulfill the leadership role that they are intended to take. Um, We've seen kind of the needs of the church. Um, I don't know kind of what your demographic is here at Creekwood, um, but when the guys and I were talking about this, several of them expressed that, you know, we have got some really strong Christian women who are really working really hard, and it's beautiful. But when we looked at it, it was, there are a lot of women, really strong women, working really, really hard, and there were a few men. And, um, again, not that I'm saying that men should be doing it all, but it was kind of where where are the men in this process and, and why are they not one wanting to be included or including themselves and possibly what are we communicating about the way we want them involved and so I think sometimes because women are really good at just getting things done checking it off getting VBS rolling getting this rolling getting this rolling that we forget to stop and take account of okay how are we coming across to people who might express interest or men who don't know how to ask, what can I do? Um, a lot of the, the things that we have going on in the church now kind of tend to drift more towards um, the skills that a female might have. You know, does that make sense? Like the child care and kind of the VBS stuff, a lot of it's very artistic. Sometimes they're very artistic men, but most of the time the women are in there painting, cutting things out, getting the decorations done. And so a lot of times men don't know really where they fit in that process. Any comments or questions or anything on that? Um, And then kind of the pressures of society, kind of to, um, you know, we see it in family, church, and society, um, pressures about what men should or shouldn't be doing and what women should or shouldn't shouldn't be doing. Um, And it's um, acceptable now more so for women to take on everything that they want plus everything a man would want. We don't really see that sort of pressure for men. Um, they've kind of pretty, pretty much 
understood in their male roles. Um, however, I would say that in the last 10 years, I've seen more dads involved and that being more socially, um, I guess, accepted, which is a great thing um, to be happening, and hopefully that trend continues. Uh, we have a lot of, in churches, a lot of fractured families, so a lot of single home, single parent homes, particularly female, raising their children, um, raising their sons, uh, and trying to teach them about what a male leadership role looks like in a family. Um, we have women teaching that. And um, again, not that they can't do that. They could do a beautiful job, but it's not necessarily the way it was intended to be. And um, it can get very difficult for a mother. A mother shouldn't have to, to know how to teach her son how to lead. And that's what's beautiful about the church is that there are men involved that can pick up that role for a woman um, who's raising a son on her own. Um, kind of, I've seen some men have, <clears throat> have uh, these boys come up and lead singing with them or get them involved in just kind of passing the trays um, for the collection or little things that kind of show them here are some steps of leadership you can take that are small um, so we can start to develop some of the bigger um, types of leadership and ways to lead a family. Um, and that's definitely a beautiful thing. Um, it's funny, even right now, even talking this, and it's only late concern, we're very careful not to say that women can't do something because society will come down exactly. to you. Exactly, right. Never. Even though God made us different so that we could be complete. Yes. You know, like when you were going over the, the personalities and you said, you asked, like, why would we be so different? Because to have a functioning full society, exactly. we need all these different types. Mm-hmm. all filling in their roles and we're telling the men that they can't do their role we're going to do their role for them and we keep pushing them out pushing them out and then there's no one there's very few left to teach the next men mm-hmm. you teach people who are like you by example better Absolutely. maybe not verbal maybe not in every way but, but right. they can look at you and say well I'm like that I can do this too right and who wouldn't want someone to like take on all the responsibility of stuff and be like, we really don't need you. I'd be like, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, you know? Well, a lot of humans, not everyone, but most humans are intrinsically lazy. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's just easy. You know, an object of motion remains in motion. Mm-hmm. And so, or I mean, I'll do a rest. A resting, right. And that's very true. And so we see, um, and, and the reason I am so careful is because I know there are so many um, different forms of family now. And so there is this kind of pressure on how, how can we be inclusive of everyone and speak in an inclusive way, um, but still kind of value and still talk about what God intended for a marriage. Um, and some of the thing that's so beautiful about, you know, what, well, what the um, Marianne Mason said about um, the last part of her quote was that, uh, that the rhetoric is based on a model of equality which is not suited to the lives of most women. It's not that men and women aren't equally valued or valuable, but that we're expecting women to fill roles that they shouldn't be filling. And, and then a lot of times we even put that pressure on men to fill roles that they shouldn't be filling. Like we are different. We were created differently. Um, and, and for good reason, like you mentioned. Uh, and so... I think particularly now with gender equality and gender identity being so confusing right now for everyone, maybe outside of faith, <laughs> to just kind of like what is anything anymore, um, that's going to be very confusing to our children. You know, we might have a good firm kind of understanding of 
this is biblically what's happening, but our children are hearing all of these things. Again, TV shows are now much more accepting of uh, kind of portraying the homosexual lifestyle as married. Um, this is we're raising children together. That's very prominent. Um, kind of this gender identity is incredibly confusing to people right now, and it will only get worse. And so we live in a very weird time um, when we're talking about family. Um, luckily, we have a really good model of what a family, a biblical family, uh, should be. But um, unfortunately, it is just going to get more confusing. And so it's going to be a very difficult conversation to have uh, in the future. Um, so, <clears throat> oh, that's getting low. The areas of leadership. What are some different types of leadership um, that you guys know of? Just anything, really. Types of leadership that we see in different places. Your spiritual leadership, what else? Yep. Managerial leadership. That's right. Um, spiritual leadership, financial leadership. Um, let's see, uh, servant leadership. That's one we really don't talk about enough that we really should. Um, I heard, can't remember when I, who I heard this from, but kind of I remember he called it like a man witch or something that a, a good um, husband and father who serves it should be um, you know the father leading the mother and then the father supporting and serving here so it's like you know that maybe he's leading here his wife is here with him and then he's there again underneath serving as a leader um, so he said some, made some some funny about it being a sandwich or something a guy joke that I didn't get but um, but kind of that idea of like servant leadership that we don't always I think someone mentioned it we don't always lead from up here a lot of times we lead from the back we lead from serving um, and that is a very uh, important leadership quality and form of leadership um, Ethelgard sometimes just the, being a mentor yes um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think, um, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I think we really need to evaluate what we look at as leadership for women and men. And a lot of times we think, well, the man is the leader, but the woman is also a leader in the home. But what does that look like? What are those differences um, of responsibility that God has given us? And just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I'm not a leader. It just looks a little different. And what does that look like for our particular family? Um, so that we kind of covered that. What does that look like? Um, something that, um, some, some statistics that I found about church and parenting um, was really interesting. Mothers, if you have a mother and a father that attend church regularly, 33% of their children will end up attending church regularly. 25% of their children will end up not attending at all. And the rest of that percentage is made up of the children that kind of come and go but don't attend regularly. If a mother attends church regularly but the father does not come at all, 2% of her children will end up attending church regularly. So it goes from 33 when it's mother and father to 2. And then 60% of her children will end up not attending at all. Um, but this is where it's really interesting. When fathers attend church regularly and the mother does not attend church at all, 38 to 44% of those children will end up attending church regularly. 
when it's their father bringing them to church. And 34% will end up not attending at all. Um, that last statistic confused me when I read that. I thought, how is that even possible? You know, you're saying that when a father brings a child without the mother, how is that a better success rate than when mom and dad both come? Um, but what I found out through reading um, through several of um, the research articles is that there was, I can't remember what the percentage was as far as when a father brings children to church, the mother is like exponentially more likely to start attending with him. Then when it's the mother bringing the children, the father is less likely to start attending. So a lot of these fathers bringing children to church on their own move into the mother and father attending church regularly as time goes on. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to kind of the idea of the father keeping that spiritual leadership going in the family and how important that is, um, certainly not just checking the boxes by attending church, um, but you can imagine that these fathers are probably doing a lot of spiritual leadership at home um, throughout the week as well. Um, so how can I define what I want leadership to be in my family? I particularly worded this this way because this is not the way we, we should look at it. It should be more that how can we define what we want leadership to be in our family? And so that's a, that is a, um, a conversation that should happen between husbands and wives. Um, what, what does this look like? I think sometimes, unfortunately, newlyweds or women come into a marriage um, and when they've been raised as a Christian, they think, it's going to be so awesome. My husband and I are going to have daily Bible studies and we're going to pray together every night before we go to bed and we're going to do this and he's going to do this and he's going to do this for our spiritual leadership. Because we've, told, we've been told like that's what they should be doing, but we come in with these unrealistic expectations that we're putting on someone who's never agreed to those things. right? Not that having a Bible study every day isn't a good thing or praying together isn't a good thing, but when we come in with these misconceptions about what, he's, what, what actions he's willing to take as far as leadership in the spiritual realm um, will only lead to disappointment <laughs> because then he'll never meet, up to meet your standards. Well, you were supposed to do this and this, and he's going, where was that in my vows? I don't remember that part, right? Um, and so it should be a conversation that you have. What does that look like? Because there, there might be parts that maybe he doesn't feel comfortable in certain spiritual leadership roles at that moment. Maybe that's something that needs to be nurtured. But to go in and expecting him to just take the bull by the horns is not fair. Um, and most of the time when they don't do it, then we start to think, oh, well, I'll just do it myself, Right? I'll just pray with the kids at night and take care of it since he won't. Um, and then we have robbed ourselves. Um, we've robbed ourselves of helping um, to develop a spiritual leader in our families by assuming the role just because we think he won't. Um, and so I would you know, just encourage women to kind of get rid of that idea of what a spiritual leader looks like for them and have a conversation about what it should look like in each individual family and what the Bible says about it as well. Um, so leading or supporting role, which am I? Uh, and what's the, what's the point um, or the purpose of a supporting, a supporting role? Why is it important? Right. And your strengths might 
And if you like think of any like famous movie or whatever, I mean, how good would the lead actor be if they didn't have anybody, any supporting roles? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so this idea of the supporting role is not a subservient role um, that lacks leadership qualities. It's just a different role. Um, and so as women, we were created to help. Um, and we have these shared responsibilities um, that even regardless of if you're the husband or wife, um, we're responsible to each other um, to serve serve each other, to also evaluate what our thoughts and attitudes and behaviors are um, on, on servanthood and what that looks like in our marriage. Um, Jesus as our model, I love this. Philippians 2.5 says, let this uh, mind be in you, which is also in Christ. And um, I, I love to think of Jesus as, as our model of servanthood um, or as that supporting role because if, if you define feminism, uh, it really means advocate of women um, and so, essentially, Jesus was the greatest feminist ever then because he was such a strong advocate of, of women in that time. Um, and he, he continually um, demonstrates um, that value of supporting role. Like he was uh, God the Son, not God the Father. And he continually prayed, not your will, but mine, going to the Father, asking for guidance. Um, and in no way did we ever look at Jesus as being weak. You know, and I think sometimes when we think of that supporting role or what submission is, we think, well, it's the weaker person has to do that. Um, but I don't think any of us would say that of Jesus. Um, and in uh, 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, 13, um, this is uh, what Paul mentions. He says of um, the, the three relationships he's talking about here. And... Uh, this is a quote from Ethelgard Smith. I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with him, but he says of the three relationships that is, that's mentioned in First uh, Corinthians 11:13, uh, the most striking is the headship of God over Christ. It it seems uh, it might seem strange since Christ is God. We must remember that God the Father is the spiritual headship of Christ the Son. This relationship was perhaps perhaps best demonstrated when Jesus prayed to God. Um, God the Father, that the cup of death passed from him, yet humbly submitted to him by saying, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, he says in Luke twenty-two forty-two, um, that's where he says, not my will, but yours be done. And because Christ is God, uh, what we discover in the relationship is a spiritual headship between equals. Uh, better still, it is a functional headship within a united wholeness of deity. So if the man is to be the head of the woman, it is a spiritual headship between spiritual equals. Um, better still, it is a functional headship within a united wholeness of marriage. So again, it's not uh, one being better than the other. And I love looking at it that way, that it's a spiritual headship between spiritual equals. That just because one has the kind of functional role as the spiritual leader doesn't mean that the, the equality is not there between males and females. Um, and so I think sometimes we forget that. I know... Uh, I've met a lot of women who really struggle with the word submission because of the way we look at it. It's like, well, then I just submit. I'm supposed to submit to everything. Well, no, that's not what the Bible says about it. Um, there's um, kind of a lot of different ways to looking at submission, but it's also um, in marriage and there's communication and compromises and ways that you define what your leaders, the leadership style is in your family um, to move past some of those differences and those challenges.
Um, so living in a less than perfect world. So we've kind of been assuming uh, in what I've been talking about that the men in these uh, marriages are wanting to be leaders. Um, a lot of times they're not. Um, even when given the opportunity to lead, they don't. And that's just the reality of that. We see that a lot. Um, men not interested in, they might come and fill a spot on the pew, but they're not interested in being involved. They're not interested in assuming that role of, of the spiritual leader in their home. Um, and that's just the reality of the world we live in. So what do we do when they aren't willing to be leaders? Um, kind of the two things that come to, came to my mind was that whether they want to be leaders or not, that doesn't change our responsibility. Like we, we can't let their lack of um, desire change what we know our responsibility is to, um, to serve our husbands, to love our husbands, to continue to communicate with them, to continue to try and identify um, things that they are doing that are, are leadership type in, the, in um, the family and to really nurture those. That never gives us the right to say, well, fine, I'm writing you off. I'll take over everything. There might be some roles you do have to assume um, until he's maybe ready to step up. But, um, again, the responsibilities for us don't change um, just because some, the other person is not wanting to. Um, and then, two, God blesses our efforts when we strive um, to do uh, what is right. And um, I think that's a hard one. Uh, we talk a lot about prayer and how prayer can, um, can change a lot of things. Um, but a lot of times we don't really believe that it does. Um, I've talked to some women who prayed for six years for something um, for their husband and continued to love them and respect them through um, some, some very specific difficulties and for six years prayed for this change to happen. Um, and it did. Um, that is a long time to pray for something consistently and fervently and not get frustrated, um, particularly with... Um, trying to be respectful. I mean, we're so used to living in a society where we're used to, like, things happening like this, you know? Like, oh, I prayed twice. Why hasn't it happened yet? You know? And so we're used to these immediate results, and sometimes the struggle is a process, and it's there for a reason. And so I think looking into why, okay, so this is where we are. What does the Lord want me to learn during this time? And how can I continue to love and support my husband through this? Um, and I'll leave you with this, and then we can, any questions or anything. Um, in First Peter 3, 1 through 6, it says, In the same way, you wives should yield to your husbands. Then if some husbands do not obey God's teaching, they will be persuaded to believe without anyone saying a word to them. They will be persuaded by the way their wives live. Your husbands will see the pure lives you live with your respect for God. It is not fancy hair, gold jewelry, fine clothes that should make you beautiful. No, your beauty come, should come from within you. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that will never be destroyed and is very precious to God. In this same way, the holy women who lived long ago followed God, made themselves beautiful, yielding to their own husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, her husband, and called him her master. And you women are true children of Sarah if you always do what is right and are not afraid. And what I really love about that scripture is that last part that if you are not afraid. And I think that's kind of an, a really... Um, interesting statement and kind of out of place almost um, if we don't really kind of think about a lot of times we act and respond to the deficiencies in our spouse out of fear 
you know, oh, we're afraid if he's not the husband that he's supposed to be. Our children are going to get messed up. People are going to know. And so everyone does, but particularly women respond a lot of times out of fear. And so if he's not doing this, I'm afraid our family is going to fall apart. So I'll pick it up and do it myself without understanding that sometimes we just need to take a step back and say, the Lord has a plan for this, and I'm not going to be afraid, and I'm not going to be motivated to act based on fear. Um, and so some beautiful things can happen sometimes when we take ourselves out of the saving it all role, doing it all role. Um, we can really be opened up to some beautiful possibilities that God has for our marriages and families. Any questions or thoughts? And, you know, sometimes we even see, like, the mother and father, that percentage for the mother and father attending regularly. Um, And it goes both ways, but it may be that more of the men are just filling the pew on a regular basis, but there's no leadership going on at home. And so that could be, like you said, another reason why that statistic is is off a little bit. I know for us in my family, in my marriage, Travis was not raised, my husband, was not raised in the church. And so, um, and not in church at all. Mm-hmm. I don't mean like in a different and you now. So with me, when we first got married and we came to the church, mm-hmm. he didn't know what he didn't know what to do and there's not people teaching them yeah. in, a, in a way. Right. Like the women like so we're out we're out doing stuff and we're taking those lists off and we're doing ladies' days talking about Titus and yeah. but the men are I guess they're so busy taking care of their families have an easier time most of the time being vulnerable with each other and so you know the whole women the older women teaching the younger women sometimes we're a little more open to that you know we do our ladies day we do our ladies day bible studies we're more open to doing that communication that intimate communication and not all men are which is okay but we have to understand that that's a that's a lack of teaching that's that's going on particularly for people who weren't raised in the church they're kind of going well all these guys know more bible than me that's intimidating they seem to know how to run their families better than me. That's intimidating. I'm not going to ask any questions. I don't want people to know like how unsure I am. But the thing is, there's I mean, we're all a little bit unsure of a lot of things in our life, right? We all have our things that we're uh, embarrassed to talk about or insecure about. And so with men, it's even multiplied you know, by a lot about what they're willing to talk about with each other. And I look at some really good men, and a lot of them you know, have different parts of the church. Like, like Travis is a is very servant, very doing, mm-hmm. very much of the hands or feet, and not a mouth. Yeah. And a lot of times we hear leadership more than we mm-hmm. see it or follow Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, I mean, we see that across the board, not only in church, but, um, you know, just in, in work situations too. But in church especially, we need that, you know. And I think it's, there's a gentleman that attends uh, one the church actually that Andrew preaches at, and he is one of the quietest men. He's an older man. He's widowed. He is so quiet, but there's not a time you will see him in that building that he is not serving. He's either picking up trash, he's playing with a child, he's caring, he's doing something for someone, and it's beautiful, but we're so busy sometimes we run past that and don't look at that as leadership, but it really is. Like, he's teaching that child 
that he's sitting there playing, doing something with that you are important. You're important enough for me to stop and say something kind to you or to do something with you. And that's a huge leadership quality. Um, but we sometimes just get so caught up in... We want them to lead the way we want them to lead. Exactly. And we're really... Their way. Yeah, well, and it's, it's sad because I think sometimes when we want them to lead the way we do, we really uh, kind of throw, fi- or throw water on what they would be really good at and this type of leadership they would be good at and excel in. And so it's like, well, I can't be good at that, so I'm just not going to do it. You can never meet your, your expectations. And so we have to be really careful about the way we communicate what we're expecting. So that's why I think that kind of you need to make it a, a discussion between you and your husband about what is this going to look like in our marriage, not so-and-so's marriage. It looks different. What is it going to look like in our marriage? So. But thank you all so much for being here. I hope this was... Um, <laughs> Somewhat insightful. It's a, it's a difficult topic to cover, but um, I appreciate y'all's comments and um, your engagement.